Hey folks, a quick message before I begin today's episode. As you may or may not know, when we record these podcast episodes, it is done primarily remotely using the internet. And sometimes the internet hates us. So bear with us in today's episode, as I noticed in the post-processing, some audio glitches and some things that, you know, and there was a couple times we actually got cut off of the uh, live feed. So I apologize for that in advance. I think I got it fixed and patched together for the most part, but I hope you enjoy today's episode. Thanks so much. This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 429. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by producer Matt, Matthew Marister. Like, <laughs> What's going on, man? I was, was going to say something else, but it just... It's yeah. not... It, yeah, it's not appropriate. I understand. <laughs> How are you doing, man? Although I have to say that, you know, you, you are so fortunate in your position in your job title because as producer you actually get airtime you actually we actually see your face there's so many of those shows you know the producers like behind the scenes you know you yeah. might hear their voice but you often don't see their face yeah i don't know if that's such a good idea you guys probably want to rework that but <laughs> for now you guys have to see me so uh, well hey folks welcome to today's episode uh we're going to be tackling this topic called protecting you and your property a relevant topic of discussion based on recent events out of st louis missouri yes we're going to pick up that hot iron we're going to dive headfirst right in we're going to discuss this kind of controversial topic i we debated it off air should we talk about this? Shouldn't we talk about this? Kind of feels like a lose-lose because you, know, you got the people that basically are, you know, you got the anti-gunner saying, hey, these, these, these guys are irresponsible with their guns and their handling. So, you know, take guns away, right? It's just fuel to the fire for that, for their cause. You have pro-gun people that are criticizing them for their lack of gun handling skills and safety and then you have pro-gun people criticizing those criticizing them right hey well it's their right you know they defended their property or whatever they defend themselves uh good for them you know we shouldn't be tearing uh every you know ourselves down all right so caveat today's episode is not intended to tear anybody down all right we're gonna take the same approach we've taken with other controversial like topics and just look at the situation look at it for what it is and our goal is what can we learn from it how can we make ourselves better smarter more prepared for our worst days the worst day of our lives should it ever come or when it comes hopefully and by that we mean i hope your worst day of your life is not having to use your gun in self-defense but should it come well, we hope that you're ready for it. And one of those things is knowing what you can and cannot do or should and should not do. And by the way, if you always do the things that you should do, then we almost certainly stay away from those things that we can't do. Right? And that's what I was thinking about this this morning, Matthew, about 
you know, well, a lot of times when we, when we start talking about these like legal concepts, people will be like, well, that's not what the constitution says, or that's not what the law says, or the law says this, like I have the right to do whatever thing, you know what? That's all true and fine and well, right. I'm all about like what our rights and the constitution and whatever says that we can and have the right to do. But there's always that should and should not question as well. And what I know by doing the things that I feel I should do from like a legal, moral kind of perspective, however you want to define that or look at that, then I will certainly stay away from the things that are going to get myself in hot legal, you know, legal hot water. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, obviously outside of those like, uh, like statutory laws, right? Like you may not know that crossing over this invisible boundary puts you in some sort of statutory violation of carrying a firearm in this zone. But yeah, when we're talking about use of force, for sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and by this, of course, you know, folks, longtime listeners of the podcast, you're, you're, you should be very familiar with us covering in our justified save episodes of the podcast. We almost always have these what not to do uh, stories we cover as well. And those are intended as I hope, thought-provoking examples of because a lot of those situations arise from people doing things that while they may have the right to do so maybe they should consider the idea that maybe they shouldn't do those things like from a tactical uh perspective alone you know and by that i mean so many incidents we have an individual that chooses to defend themselves and they go outside they go out of their way to defend themselves rather than force that that threat to come to them and by that going outside your home chasing down someone stealing your car that kind of thing but anyway we'll get into it all right today's episode brought to you by sponsored by of self-defense defensive property training video course thing <laughs> uh, there's actually a physical DVD. I think it may be available virtually. I don't know if it is virtually through our site or not. I know that we sell the DVD version of the video course known as Defense of Property, prepared by attorney Andrew Branca at Law of Self-Defense. You can pick up a copy today at concealedcarry.com forward slash D-O-P, as in Defense of Property. So concealedcarry.com, DOP. <laughs> I like that short link. <laughs> so guys I'd, I'd highly encourage you to study and learn and watch this defensive property video course uh because it andrew just does a phenomenal job of breaking down the very issues we're going to be discussing today all right the second uh episode sponsor if you will is our very own concealedcarry.com legal section on our site uh, if you go to concealedcarry.com forward slash laws, then there's all kinds, there's articles and there's references and, and just tons of information about um, these types of legal questions. Okay. And not that we're in attorneys, but uh, you know, this is kind of what we do at concealedcarry.com is help people know when, where, how they can carry concealed, use deadly force, that sort of thing. Of course, always consult with an attorney. Consult with Andrew Branca if you can. Uh, he's not cheap though, but that's why he makes his content very much affordably available, right? But head on over to concealcarry.com forward slash laws and use that part of our site for re, uh, for reference. 
and then also uh again pick up that defensive property dvd so all right guys let's jump into the topic let's do matthew uh tell us i mean just can you kind of give us the the facts of the case so to speak yeah, so so basically, what happens is uh, if you've been under a rock for the last couple weeks, uh, there's some protests going on, right? And uh, some of them have been violent, some of them have not been violent. Um, in St. Louis, the mayor um, basically is giving a press conference on some issues dealing with um, defunding the police. She ends up inadvertently or intentionally. D- it's up to you to decide, um, but doxes or releases some information on uh, some people that were um, pro defunding the police. Um, some people get upset about that. Obviously, um, you know, they're demanding her resignation. So they decide, hey, we're going to take the the uh, the protest or, or this march and we're going to kind of go to her home. Um, and not surprisingly, the mayor lives in a gated community that uh, private and there's gates around it. So to keep people out and, uh, the, the protests, they're banging drums and chanting and doing things like that. And, uh, they enter through this gate. Now there's some debate on whether it was locked or not, but there's a, there's a sign says private property. There was a gate. It was forced open. Um, and, uh, and the way it works is as this group enters through this gate, they're right. Uh, they, it kind of puts them right adjacent to um, this home of um, Mark McCloskey, McCloskey um, and his wife. He's 63 years old. She's 61 years old as the, uh, you know, March uh, protests, whatever you want, mob, whatever you guys, whatever word you want to use, uh, you can make your own decision, uh, passes by um, these two, uh, Mark and his wife come out, she's holding a, a handgun, he has uh, a rifle, and they're, you know, telling people to get off their property, his private property, get away, and uh, and it's all on video. So there's some debate on you know, were they justified? Um, were the, was this peace? Was this a peaceful protest? Was it a mob? Were they there to kill them? Were they there to, you know, just um, peacefully redress the government for their grievances? Um, you know, it, there's a there's a video. So if you haven't seen it, um, maybe we can play it. I'm not sure, Riley. We can play it probably for the people that are watching. But um, oh, it's rolling right now, brother. Yeah, there we go. So if you're watching, you can kind of see. Um, you know, kind of looks like um, they're not doing so great with their uh, weapon handling skills. But um, yeah, so there's a lot of debate, right? Like legally, tactically, uh, morally, all kinds of stuff. So that's, I'll just kind of tee it up for you. And that's kind of where we can kind of dig into it. I was going to play this other view, but it doesn't seem like it wants to. So yeah, uh, you did a pretty good job, I think, of you know, covering kind of the. The, the basis of the, you know, the background of the story. Um, so we have these two individuals uh, they have a, an attorney now that's come out and given a statement and produce some facts as far as their recounting. It's a little bit different than, than what maybe was uh, initially reported, including by uh, the man in question, uh, you know, carrying the AR 15 um, that, you know, I don't really, 
again, I'm not so concerned about, all right, did the mob break down? You know, I say mob, like there's a pretty big crowd of people, right? Uh, they are protesting. Uh, they're disgruntled with the mayor there, you know, calling for her resignation. Uh, I mean, this was not, you know, I wouldn't, I mean, I, I would generally describe this from what I've seen from the videos as a peaceful protest. Although it sounds like they broke down the front gate of this gated community to get in. And that's not particular. I don't know. Whatever. All right. So they're in there. That's beside the point at this point. They're, they're inside the community. They're walking down the street. They come, I guess they happen to go by this house, the McCloskey's. And I mean, here's, here's the thing, right? You live in this gated community. It's obviously a very, very wealthy community. Just a look at that house. It looked like it's a <laughs> European estate, you know, it's, right. it's pretty fancy. Uh, so you're accustomed to some sort of security, right? In a community like that. That's why there's gates. That's why only authorized persons are allowed to come in. It's listed as private property. Um, I, I mean, people are essentially, tre they're, they're trespassing on this property, right? So I think we kind of have to look at it and approach it a little bit from, from you know, understanding some of that. Um, so again, regardless of what the the crowd was actually doing, the, the protesters were actually doing, uh, the fact is they are in this private community. They are trespassing. They are not authorized to be there. And that's, that's a, you know, that's a problem. Right. So put yourself in, in that situation. If you if you lived in a community like that and you're accustomed to that level of security, now all of a sudden you have this giant mass of people flooding through the gates coming down the street. That's going to be concerning, right? Like if, if you're observing that as an occupant of this home, Matthew, you, you look out the window and you see this happening. You're like, whoa, what's going on? Right. Uh, so that's definitely going to make your hair stand up on end a little bit. Um, again, I'm not, you know, there's no evidence at least that I could see or reports of them doing anything particularly violent or threatening people. But the fact that they're in this community where they're not authorized to be, that is the, the unsettling factor here. So you have the McCloskeys who, you know, as these people are making their way past their home, they feel, I, I would say they probably felt threatened, right? Because they're uniquely sheltered in that community. I do not live in a community like this. I'm not accustomed to this type of environment, right? You know, but I, I, I that's kind of, as I've, as I've thought about this and tried to approach this or find a way to approach this, I'm, I'm trying to like put myself in that position. If, if I lived in a community like this, how would I feel seeing this group of protesters, this mob essentially coming down my street? I would feel unnerved and threatened. And be, be, let's be careful with how I use the word threatened, right? I'm not saying like directly physically threatened, just that my security has been, it's, it's, it's the appearance of, you know, that, that security has now been nullified, right? Mm -hmm. It's been reduced. I no longer feel secure in my place, right? So, um, 
there's there's that aspect. So obviously the, these two people are feeling probably rather threatened by that situation. For whatever reason, they they choose to grab guns and they choose to make it known to everybody that's going by. We're armed. We're here. And uh, yeah, don't mess with us. So, I mean, what just taking that at, at, at face value, Matthew, like, what do you think about that concept of just sort of that? It's it's almost like that uh, the level of force of, you know, like mere presence, right? Like I'm making my presence known. Yes, there's there's a gun being handled, too. Right. But like, guys, I'm here. You don't want to mess with this household. Right. What, right. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think anytime we use our firearm, whether it's uh, we point it, whether we shoot it, whether we just brandish it, it has to be reasonable or it's going to be looked upon as like, hey, was that reasonable given the circumstances? Um, and I, I think, you know, when we talk about like a peaceful protest, um, there's nothing wrong peacefully banging drums or even using a microphone and shouting and things like that. I think um, given that, many of the protests were overtly violent, right? Uh, prior to this event. And I, I saw an interview uh, with, uh, I, I forget the guy's name, uh, Mr. McCloskey, we'll call him. Um, and he said that, you know, specifically he saw that that they were going to come to uh, this neighborhood or this street, this private community because of the, because of the, the mayor, right? And um, that they were going to, you know, F stuff up. And so mm-hmm. I think that there, even if at that moment, right, where, where they see these people start coming through in the first 10, 15, 20, 30, weren't super violent, right? Like at first, um, they, they might have given their understanding of, of what has happened in the past and the intent or some of the intent of, of, of different uh, people in, you know, organizing these groups and their intent was to do stuff, you know, uh, mess stuff up. Um, I think that that adds to a little credibility to an otherwise kind of vague, Hey, were these people just peacefully protesting, right? Like you can right. start, all that starts to tip the scale towards, Hey, um, is this reason are these people really here to just march down the street and make their whether or not they're trespassing or not right like that's irrelevant like sure it's relevant to legal issues but not to their state of mind right like whether or not they were this was a a a, a, just a regular street right like and you're standing inside your own home and it's not a gated community like do you still have the ability to see a group of people marching right in front of your your yard just with the intent to destroy stuff and get nervous enough, or do you have to live in a gate where is it's private property to be there? I don't think that that's kind of relevant in I think the objective objective decision is going to be what was the mindset and why did they think that this group was violent? Well, you know, let's, let's kind of look at that a little bit because what we know in recent history, right? It's no secret that there have been protests and that sometimes some of those protests have turned violent, right? And so I think it's completely reasonable to, again, be unnerved, to be to feel threatened, potentially. At least you want to be on your guard, right? Because 
things can get out of hand rather quickly, right? Sure. Uh, it kind of goes to the the whole uh, uh, threshold of violence theory that, uh, oh, shoot, what's his name? Um, <laughs> oh, man. Look this up. Hang on. And some of the stuff he's written is, you know, somewhat controversial or people don't necessarily always agree with everything. But uh, uh, I think the article is rather fascinating. You can look up on the New Yorker. It's called Thresholds of Violence and talks about how uh, it's this idea that, and I've talked about on the podcast before, that an average person on their own accord, I mean, certainly there are, there is that criminal subset of, of society that, you know, they'll do whatever, right? But we're talking kind of like, because there's a lot of people in these some of these protests that that are just they're pretty much I mean they're some of you will take offense at the fact that I'm going to say normal people but but they're pretty normal people uh, for where they are and the circumstances that they're in right like they're and some of these people are not they're not criminals they're you know generally law abiding uh, folks right and then, and there certainly are plenty of examples in history where previously law abiding people suddenly turn not so law abiding. And so the thresholds of violence is this theory is to kind of try to understand maybe why that is. And so the idea is that some people have a threshold of violence of one, like if we were to assign the numerical values and that might just be that, well, they're the instigators, they're the people that are willing to, yep. All right, let's, let's smash this, this store window in. Let's kick it off right now. Let's go. Right. But there's other people that their threshold is two. And what that means is they they really need to see somebody else instigate that. And then, and then they'll be kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, I can get on board with that. All right, let's go, right? Because once somebody else is doing it, it's like, you know, some people are just more easily swayed by the crowd, right? Uh, and you can extend that across a whole group of people. Like everyone might have a different value of what their personal threshold is before they go, Okay, I'm game, right? Some people might have a threshold hundred, where they would never in a million years think about looting stores and doing property damage, right? Uh, burning police cars, but when they see a hundred other people or thousands of other people doing the same thing, then they go, "Yeah, okay, what could it hurt?" There's so many other people, like because some people they're not going to do certain things because they're afraid of getting caught, but when they know there's tons of other people doing the same thing. Well, the risk of me getting caught is pretty low. Mm-hmm. So when there's not that consequence, then they're a lot more willing to do certain actions, illegal ones included, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the idea, right? And so that's that's where we can have an otherwise peaceful protest going on. But you get a couple of instigators that do something and then a couple other people go, oh, yeah. And then more people join in, right? And before you know it, you have not just a protest, but a riot, right? And emotions can run high sure. and, and that can drive some of this as well. All right. Now, don't read into necessarily what I'm saying about this particular group or crowd. I know very little about the crowd itself, other than I've seen some videos and it seemed rather benign. There's some there's some yelling, there's a little bit of shouting, there's a, you know, whatever they're chanting, you know, but but really I see people walking along and others saying, come on, guys, move along, move along. You know, they're there to get to the mayor's house so uh but with recent history in mind it's not out of you know it's it's, it's reasonable to be in this in this couple's shoes 
and go, this is not okay. Right. And I'm nervous, maybe scared even because we've seen stuff in the news recently that turned bad. Right. Okay. So, uh, just, uh, you know, presenting some different ideas and some sides, not necessarily sides, but just some things to consider. Okay. Like we had Jim here on the, in the comments saying like, we don't know what we want to say and we need to take a stand. Uh, we're analyzing a situation and we're going to look for lessons to pull out of that. All right. And also context is always important, right? Because what is true in one circumstance is not necessarily true in another. So that's why we break these things down like this is to try to establish the context, to try to understand a little bit better what's going on and maybe what some of the minds and motivations people involved may be. So, uh, anyway, all right. So, oh, and, and Alex here commenting about, you know, talk about protests and suburbs and stuff. And, and that's a fair point too, right? Because most of the big protests have been happening in like big cities, downtown areas, stuff like that. So this is an example of, of, of a group of people marching and taking this protest more to the herbs, right? Into this private community to the mayor's house. So yes, again, I, I, you see kind of this perspective of, I am, I'm, I'm nervous and or scared about this large crowd of people walking by or even gathering outside my home. Ironically enough though, by the way, by them presenting themselves with arms, meaning guns, they made themselves probably more of a focal point than if they had just, locked the doors and stayed in. Now, again, there has been some reports, some stories, including from uh, the uh, the husband, the man involved, suggesting that there were a couple of white dudes that were throwing out some threats or something or, you know, acting like they were going to do some property damage or something. And I, I okay, I uh, don't know all for sure all the, uh, the uh, uh, details on that. All right, so... There's some context for you. So let's start. Uh, let's look at the actual, you know, the videos like as we've seen where we have uh, this guy and his wife out front, both with gun hand. Uh, again, we've, we prefaced the episode today with this is not intended to be tearing anybody down. All right. Uh, I do not envy the situation that these people were playing. Placed in. It was not their choice to have this crowd of people come into their gated private community, right? Uh, that's something I you know, wish upon anybody to be in that situation that makes them uncomfortable and feel unsafe. So, uh, you know, again, not trying anybody down, but there are some lessons to be learned. So, Matthew. What's what can you throw out one thing right off the bat that you go looking at this whole situation, the videos and the photos that we've seen, like what's what's the first lesson we can pull out of this? I I mean, you, you kind of touched it and there, there's there's some comment or things that I was thinking of as you were talking that we'll come back to. But I want to answer your question first. And I think the first thing in my mind is always is the decision to go outside your home. Does it outweigh 
you know, the danger of going outside your home, even if you're armed, uh, does that outweigh uh, the the danger of staying in your home and potentially either having to wait for police that may not show up or tell you, hey, it's going to be a delayed response? Um, I don't know. And, and so that I think for me is the first step. Like you see people outside, mm-hmm. you believe them to be a violent group or something like that. They may not be at this point and there's no, I, I know there's some in, um, even some news reports that said there, some of the people in the group had been armed. Um, and so there, but there's, there's no proof that they were trying to break into the home at this point, right? Like no broken windows, no right. breaching of the door. So at this point, my first question is, should I go outside and confront, con- confront yep. the group or bunker inside? And, and I see that really as a tactical decision, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's an important distinction, honestly, to make with with situations like these, because there's there's legal questions, there's gun handling questions. We're going to talk about some of those too. Uh, there's tactical questions, right? And uh, tactics is not always the same thing. In fact, it's not the same thing as say the law, right? And that's where we sometimes get people that get frustrated with us in our an- analysis of justified stories or the what not to do stories that we cover some sometimes. They'll be like, well, that's not what the, you know, the law says I can do this. Well, yes, but it tactically is that the smart, right? It's also like the open versus concealed carry debate that people like to have, right? And again, people will probably disagree with me on this, but tactically, Carrying openly, it's a it's a it's a different tactic than carrying concealed, right? It's a tactics question, as I mm-hmm. see it. Let's clear something up though, really quick, um, and that is, these people are on their property. Like I, I'm talking about the you know uh, Mark and whatever her name was, Karen or Ka- was it Karen? Was she? No, actually, no she wasn't. Are you calling her Karen or you, is that her name? <laughs> It's a joke. I can't. Uh, Patricia, excuse me. Patricia, Patricia, Mark and Patricia. Uh, They're on their property, their own property, right? These are their guns. Do you have the right to be out even in front of your house on your property with your gun in hand? Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. There's no question about that. You absolutely have the right to stand there on your property and be armed. Okay. Right. Glad we cleared that up. So, so from a legal perspective, there is absolutely no problem with them coming outside house and just being there openly carrying their guns. Right. But what you brought up, Matthew, is more the tactical thing. Mm-hmm. What was smart? What was the better thing from a tactics perspective? Well, by placing myself outside of the, by the way, their home is a very nice home. And a lot of it looks to be made out of stone or whatever. Like it looks pretty, pretty stout, right? Um, where are you safer? Tactically speaking inside the place that gives you cover and protection and concealment or out in the white, you know, in the open, right? I, that that's an easy question to answer. All of you should understand and get that, right? So just from a tactics perspective, I am more easily, I am 
I am better defending myself from within the home than I am just out in the open. Straight up, all day long, right? If given the choice, fight out here on the front step or fight from a position of cover and concealment, I'll take the cover and concealment all day long. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I completely agree. And and that's kind of the thing I, I think, you know, people want to jump in and say, well, they're legally able to do this. And that's kind of why I, I, I didn't want to jump down the, the legal pole because, I mean, that's for attorneys to argue and they, they argue in court all the time over a, a black and white, you know, statute. So I think... Um, I think if we just look at it as, and you brought this up at, at the very beginning, I, I, I think um, talking about if you do things that are, you know, uh, uh, um, more rational thinking, right? Like I've taken a, a, a step to uh, pause before I act or say things or do things. And I thought, hey, not about necessarily, am I legally able to do this? But should I do this? Is this, you know, going to put yeah. my life in jeopardy or or my other, you know, whatever it might be? Um, and then you make the decision. You're probably more likely to be in line with the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Casey brings up an interesting point. She says here, I think it could be argued that it that that they kept them at a safe distance. Uh, if they had been able to approach, meaning the, the crowd, they may have been emboldened and become more aggressive. It's hard to say. All right. So, th- and that's a fair point, right? So, but again, that's a tactical question, right? Uh, am, am I more willing to have these people get closer to the house? Am I willing to accept some potential property damage, Right because I choose to stay in a safer position of, you know, of advantage and cover for myself. So again, we have to keep things. And by the way, that's a relevant question, right? Is the open display of force more of a deterrent that, that keeps them at a greater distance than if I stayed within the house? That's arguably, that's actually very likely. Although, the, you know, we I touched on a little bit and I saw, saw Key's comment as well on Facebook about that, you know, the, the crowd may not have even paid this home much mind or attention uh, if they didn't actually draw that attention to them. Like, obviously, once they pulled out, you know, the guns, like everyone's like, oh, my goodness, what's going on? So it got a lot of attention. And that's obviously where all the cameras went because everybody wants to everybody wants to be on world stop star hip hop or whatever. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, um, tactics, you got to make that decision for yourself. I think in 95 plus percent of the cases, like, and from a lot of the stories we analyze, you're for better to stay within the home, to have a position of advantage of cover concealment, all of that, then I think placing yourself outside of the home. All right. All right. Let's move on from that. Um, Matthew, what's something else? Lesson learned. Yeah. I, I mean, I want to, I just want to, maybe this is a good point to um, just ask whoever's listening to just take a, take a moment, regardless of what side, whether you think, you know, what they did was right or wrong or whatever. And, and just, let's, let's do the other shoe or shoe on the other foot 
uh, test and say, what if this were uh, a group of pro 2A people that were openly caring because it's, you know, open, uh, open carry is legal. And let's say they walk down this, this road chanting, you know, uh, you know, stop, uh, taking, you know, take away the, the, the second amendment, stop in, in, infringing on my rights. And they were, you know, banging drums or whatever. Um, would that change your mind? And if it does, then, um, you know, th- think about the whole totality of everything and say, now, you know, y- you can kind of see it from both sides because, um, mm-hmm. I-, I think that, you know, naturally, we as people in the second, you know, pro two way people, and we obviously cover uh, self-defense uh, uses of guns and, and everybody here is listening because they're concealed carry, right? Like you, um, our, our tendency is to jump and say, yep, they're, they're totally justified in using their gun and they may be legally. And obviously in this instant, no one died and everything, and it might blow over and everything's gone. Um but it could easily be the other way around where pro 2A people, and we've seen it, um, are demonized as monsters and things like that. Now, I know there's some history of, um, you know, what did people know about the group before? But I'm just saying in general, um, those same arguments like, oh, well, this mob was chanting and and this and that. So I drew out my firearm because they had firearms, right? Um, so I think that it's, it's kind of a you know, a good exercise to just kind of put the shoe on the other foot and just see if your, your, your view changes at all. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk real quick about uh, the fact that they're pointing their guns at everybody, like quite literally. Uh, We're not using a high ready. We're not even really using a low ready. Uh, We're just sort of being wherever. Right. And, and so very clearly uh, people in the, uh, crowd are are being muzzled by these guns with fingers on triggers particularly in the case of uh of of the lady right she's got this i think it's like a ppk or something that she's it it looked like a ppk to me which fortunately by the way fortunately for the protesters sake has a pretty stiff long double action first trigger pull uh with that way the way that finger was resting on that trigger the whole time it's a good thing it was that and not a 1911 with a three pound trigger and the safety off. <laughs> right. So, uh, here'd be a question. What if somebody in the crowd was armed, Matthew, you know, carrying legally carrying concealed even, and like they take the fact that these guns are pointed at them as a threat and they shot one of McCloskey's. Hmm. Interesting thing to consider. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's part of it, you know, if you're going to use a self-defense claim, I think part of that is going to be, were you legally allowed to be in that place that you were? Right. So maybe that's when is this technically trespassing or how, you know? um, But yeah, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's why I, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, I'll just brandish the gun. And, you know, if it's a road rage situation and this guy is bigger than me or whatever, I'll just say, hey, buddy, back off. You know, I got a gun. But the minute you start drawing that firearm, if you're not legally justified to use it, and it's reasonable to, for the other person to assume that you're going to use force against them. So this could have, and whether or not it was legal or not, could have ended very, very poorly and tragically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Here's my my big concern about um, about the gun handling, with, as far as the, where the muzzle is pointing. Uh, it sounded to me I read this statement from their attorney that they've hired um, that you know they they they're trying to articulate that there was a threat. Uh, in fact, according to go to this article, I'll try to make sure I include it in the show notes. Um, their attorney was clear to say that, uh, well, they said that the, the couple, Mark and Patricia, did not initially bring their weapons outside. Uh, and uh, the attorney says, my clients were not arming themselves against peaceful protesters. They were arming themselves about people with a really bad motive. Uh, it goes on to refer to uh, two menacing men. Um, that let's see here. Where is it? Yeah, it says that they only armed they they armed themselves only after two white men began menacing them. Now I haven't seen any video or photographic evidence of this. Here's the thing. Here's the problem. What we see is that there's no discernment. Okay, as to a threat, a specific threat or target in the gun handling. It's kind of like everybody's a threat. So I'm turning and I'm pointing my gun at everybody, right? So there's some problems here with the statement coming from their attorney that there were two, that specifically states that there were two menacing men. Okay, where are those two menacing men? And if those are the men you're concerned about, if that is the prompt, if that is the thing that causes you to then arm yourself, then why is your aggression now at this point with regards to the guns not directed to those to that specific threat, to those menacing men? Why is it instead directed at the whole crowd? And that's an important thing, I think, for us as self-defense-minded gun carriers to keep in mind. If we were to if we imagine even remotely the possibility of something like this happening to us in our neighborhoods, wherever that may be, or something similar, do you, do you see the distinction there? Whole crowd versus I can articulate and specify, there's my threat. This man said this. This man pulled out a bat, whatever, right? Like specific threats as opposed to this crowd, right? What, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you. Um, you know, in, in it's hard, and that's that's the question of like when you go out to confront a single threat. Like, let's say they went out and were, you know, there were two people that seemed to be the aggressive people in the group. Well, that that's the issue of going out armed. Is now you have this group around you that may not be. Um, if you've if, if if you're specifically saying that these people, these two people were the aggressive ones and the rest were pounding drums and it scared us because there were some aggressive people and some not um, y- you, you raise the the, the level of um, of probability of something violent happening. Right. Like you because now you can't discern who's there. And you're going to draw out the most aggressive people out of that group to confront you, right? The, the, the ones that don't want to be confronted or aren't there to cause problems other than disrupt or whatever they want to do. And um, 
they're probably going to be like, I don't want to be part of this, right? Like dudes point guns at each other, but those aggressive people that are the instigators, they're going to be drawn out to you. And now you've kind of made the, the mm-hmm. problem worse. So you're, I, you're kind of suggest you're, you're suggesting that basically the, the, the manner in which they handle themselves and also their weapons was in and of itself an escalation. Is I that think what, it, what you're getting at? I think in this case, it, it, escalated from what we saw, right? Like we don't know if they would have just bunkered down that this group wouldn't have just completely, like he said in the interview, like charge the Bastille, right? Like just destroy the home and go through the, and just pillage everything, right? Like we don't know. Um, but we do know that, um, what happened from them coming out. Right. And so I, and from watching a lot of, I, I mean, it's hard to say if you wouldn't have done this, this would have happened because we we don't we just don't know. It's speculation, but we do know that the way mobs work, and you kind of explained it, like those aggressive elements of the mob. When somebody has a gun or confronts it, they're going to go and confront that, and now the mob becomes emboldened and wants to be more violent. So I'm not saying I'm not putting the blame of the mob on these people. Right. Please don't, you know, if, if you're listening, I'm, please don't. Um, I understand that. But I am saying that we have to understand that our actions, whether they're legal or not, do have an outcome on what's, you know, the, the response of the other people. Yep. Yep. That's all fair. All right. So um, – <laughs> What's the correct thing to do? Again, I made it clear that there's no harm or or wrong in these people choosing to arm themselves and even stand out front on property. They're not breaking any laws, as far as I know, unless there was some specific prohibition against open carry. Whatever, I don't know. I don't know how that would work, in, even in the case of private property. But Basically, you know, and especially according to Missouri law, as far as I know, they're, 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 they are not breaking the law. However, you know, we're talking about this idea that guns are pointed wherever, fingers on trigger. By the way, I noticed too, there's some, you know, relatively high quality images. Clearly, somebody had a, a decent, you know, kind of pro grade camera with them taking some of these photos because you can clearly see. And this is a concern to me. This is a concern. You can clearly see that the safety on the AR-15 is off. It's the safety selector switch is set to fire because you can see it. It's vertical position, right? Unless this is some mystery AR I've never come across or seen with some different way of, of operating. Uh, I, I seriously doubt that's the case. The safety is in its off position. Now, the man did a pretty good job of keeping his finger up the trigger, but safety off. Ooh, boy. Mm. Uh, you know, depending on the trigger he has in that gun, I mean, the point is it doesn't take a whole lot necessarily to set off. Uh, and you got that gun pointed wherever, right? At what? And so we could very, it's one thing to be out there with guns in hand. It's a whole other thing if somebody accidentally, man or wife, set off, you know, actually fired a shot accidentally or negligently, right? Um, then, then, wow, you know, they'd, they'd have a serious problem then, right? Uh, okay, so the correct things to do. You want to go out there? If you've tactically made the decision, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I need to do. I'm going to go out front and arm myself. Okay, 
please let's uh, orient the pistol or rifle in a either downward or upward position, right? A low ready, a high ready, whatever you think is appropriate. Just not at everybody else. Number two, finger out the trigger, right? Until you're on a target and prepared to fire. Now, arguably, the lady, right? She she's on target. She's on all kinds of targets. So finger on trigger. But I don't think she was intending on shooting anybody yet, right? So uh, finger off trigger, right? And so with a pistol, you know, okay, the the, the AR fifteen had a sling on it, and it seemed pretty apparent to me this guy doesn't spend a lot of time training with an AR in his hands or with a sling, because anybody that does. They know when they pick up that rifle, the sling goes on, and and you, you don't even have to think about it, right? And then you're not standing there awkwardly holding this thing with your arms fatiguing for five, ten minutes, right? You're just you're letting the sling do its work. Typically, muzzle-oriented downward, right, in a safe direction. And all it takes is a split second for you to bring that up and onto target when and if you decide it's necessary. The pistol. This is one of the challenges when we find ourselves in a situation where we don't have a holster available, right? So uh, now I'm not going to necessarily, I mean, I I care all the time. 24, well, not 24-7, right? But like every waking moment of the day, I'm pretty much on my body in a holster carrying my pistol, right? So. If this was me, um, I, I, there's no need for me to stand there with that pistol in my hand because I could easily have it still in the holster. I could even have my hand on it, right, in the holster. I, put, I could tuck the shirt behind the grip of my gun if I felt I wanted to, okay? Again, on my property, but I've got the holster. And I'm ready to put that into use if necessary. If I can articulate and, and identify an actual physical threat to me or my family, right? In an instant, it can come out of that holster and I can put the gun on target. But what, how we get to this point of what we see in the video is this, this, is, this is a sign of a casual gun owner. Guns are owned because, well, all right, they, they believe in them, they like having them, whatever. But basically, these guns are magic talismans for these people. Because it's clear that there's very little training, and there's certainly not been a lot of thought given to how they would even handle themselves in a situation like this. There's no thought process there of, well, maybe I shouldn't be standing here with my finger on trigger pointing my muzzle at everybody, Right? Because someone that spends some time on a, on a range, in a class, whatever, training, or listening to the Concealed Carry podcast, well, then we would we would use a different approach. We just, we just would, right? Because the default position is always to be in, in some sort of muzzle-averted ready position until it's time to put the gun into work. Uh, and in this case, the default seemed... Ah, you. Oh, you. You're saying something over here. Ah, point my gun at you. Right? That's a problem. Again, I know. And I, I, some of my very own friends have posted on social media about how we shouldn't be picking on or criticizing or 
Boy, I'd, I'd, I'd come up and... So I don't know if we lost Riley or not. I don't know if you guys can hear me. Um, and our audio kind of cut off for the last 30 seconds or so. So um, so here's the deal. I'll jump in where Riley kind of left off. Um, for my, my way of thinking is that, you know, when we look at these uh, two, two people handling their firearms, we know that they haven't been trained. And the, the, the forethought of, hey, what am I actually going to do with the firearm um, hasn't really gone through their mind, right? And that comes through training and, and, and kind of um, being able to put yourself in these what-if scenarios. Uh, but I, I'd want you guys to think about this as well, like for all the people that would say, I would have done the same thing. Um, and I'm not saying that you're wrong, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that at all um, because I probably, you know, get, given a, a, a any day, that could have been me, right? But think about like, what would you have done if you had to shoot somebody, right? You have a mob of 60, 80, 100 people. I don't know, but there were many more than 30 probably, right? He's got a, a magazine of 30 rounds. She has maybe eight rounds, right? I didn't see him with the bandolier magazines or anything like that. So imagine you do have to shoot somebody. You see somebody with the firearm. He's saying that he saw, you know, some people uh, in the crowd that had firearms. Imagine you shoot somebody and now you're in a, a shootout with a group of people, right? Like you don't know where, who's shooting at you. Um, and they either storm you or, you know, uh, ambush you, um, or it's just a, a whole shootout. What are you probably going to do? Right. You're probably going to run back into your house if you could. Right. And so then now you're back in the, in the same spot. Like, why did I leave the house? And maybe in that process of maybe I shouldn't have gone out there, your wife gets shot, you get shot, something like that. So I'm not saying that they did anything wrong. I'm just saying when we're playing these what-if scenarios and we're trying to say, why do we train? Why do we practice? Why do we do this? It's not always the technical, hey, how do I pull the trigger and see my sights? It's if I have to use my firearm, what what do I have to do? What are the, all, the, all, all the considerations I have to make about targets, threats, multiple threats, uh, cover, concealment, what I'm going to do. So um, round count, right? Um, some small uh, concealed handguns, concealed carry handguns are very small capacity. Um, so just being saying, you know, I would have shot somebody too. That's fine. If you're, if you're just fine, I'm not saying that you're not. I'm just saying, think about it past. I pull the trigger and that's it. That's all. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think you're back. So uh, it, appear I, it appears that I am. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's funny. It just crashed on me and I even got a message popped up from the service that, you know, does this streaming and recording for us that said something went wrong and it's not your fault. <laughs> I'm like, okay, what am I supposed to do about it? Uh, clearly just some kind of, I don't know, server or internet connectivity type issue, but we're, we're here. Um, so yeah, I, I think I caught a lot of what you were saying, Matthew, and, and very good thoughts there. And, uh, it's really important we understand the law. And by the way, the, these two individuals in question are actually attorneys. Now they're personal injury attorneys, is my understanding. Uh, so their area of emphasis is probably not so much on self-defense. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of misconceptions, even amongst attorneys, about what the law says or permits or, or allows us to do in cases like this. And so I just wanted to touch real quick, though, just because we haven't really spent a lot of time on the law, per se. And again, distinguishing between protecting you and protecting your property. Uh, 
I'm going to just read or kind of do an overview of Missouri statutes as it relates to this area of the law. Uh, and Missouri's statutes are are not unlike most other states in the in the country. Okay, so almost without exception, virtually every state does not permit the use of deadly force to protect property. All right, there may be some limited exceptions, but usually when we have, as Andrew Brink would call it, highly defensible property. And usually that's because we have persons involved. For instance, in Missouri, there, if you read the law, it, it basically it, it seems that this is right here, deadly force. Uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, okay? And I hate doing that when we have statutes, but I want to read this whole long paragraph. Basically, you can use deadly force to defend against someone who unlawfully enters a dwelling, residence, or vehicle. It's actually, not, not all states have something that specifically calls out vehicles like this Missouri statute does. But again, we're talking about a situation where we have a lot of times individuals inside that vehicle. By the way, my paraphrasing of that law comes on the heels of where it uses uh, uh, dead force in the statute to describe how it's where, where it's necessary self-defense or defense of others to prevent death, physical serious physical injury, or forcible money, and then clarifies dwelling residences and vehicles. So it's implied that that's these are the it, it's implied that it's being used in defense of persons in those cases. Uh, when we read the statute in Missouri about defensive property, it says, and this is very similar to how it's worded in Colorado, where a person may use physical force when and to the extent that they believe, reasonably believe that it's necessary to prevent what they reasonably believe to be the commission or attempted commission by that person of stealing property damage or tampering in any degree. Very clear. Physical force may be used. And the very next paragraph in the statute then talks about when person when they may use deadly force. And it says it points you back to the section of the statute that covers some deadly force to protect persons. Okay. And then there's another section of the statute that talks about the duty the, the, the duty to retreat. And essentially, anywhere in the state of Missouri that you have the right to be. And especially in your dwelling, residence, or vehicle, or on your private property, you do not have the duty to retreat. Missouri, in 2017, passed a law. They extended that duty to duty to retreat statute to include any place that you have the right to be. So, in other words, Missouri is a stand-your-ground state. Okay? Now, again, these folks are on their personal property or on their private property. The, They've chosen to arm themselves. They all have they have the right to do that. Uh, I don't know whether we'll see charges pressed here or not, right? Because of the guns being pointed at everybody, and that could be interpreted as as assault or uh, whatever, right? But uh, we'll, that that'll just have to pan out. That's not our that's not our call to make you know to decide. Um, I know from a tactical and a safety perspective what the right thing to do is and we've discussed that 
but again, let's be clear on what the law says. Let's clarify that castle doctrine is not the same thing as stand your ground. And if you hear anybody talk about castle doctrine in regards to this case, it's wrong. Because castle doctrine specifically is dealing with law regarding duty to retreat, which or the lack thereof, right? The meaning you don't have a duty to retreat within your dwelling. And you step outside the dwelling and now we're in the standard ground there. Now, Missouri's law is actually you know again they do talk about having I don't and I don't know exactly which the statute they changed in 2017. It may have already said a duty to retreat on your property. Um but again, traditionally castle doctrine is applied within the a dwelling. And then stand your ground may be applied everywhere else. But some states have something that's a little bit more specific as it relates to their the property you know that the home is on, right? So, but that's neither here nor there. Missouri is a stand your ground state. There's no duty to retreat. These folks don't have to go indoors; they want to. And we we've already addressed the tactical considerations. So it just really comes down to I don't see anything wrong here whatsoever. Other than you probably want to just dial in those gun handling and safety skills a little bit better. And, and, and again, not meaning to pick specifically on these people, but using this as an example of looking internally, looking inward and saying, how would I have handled myself? Am I safe in my gun handling? Is it second nature? Is it subconscious? For me to always keep my finger indexed straight along the frame of the gun until it's time to put that gun on target and fire, right? Those are those are good questions, relevant questions for us to ask each of ourselves and evaluate. Where am I at today with regards to my personal gun handling and safety skills? I think safety is, in fact, a skill. We've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Awkward silence because Matthew has nothing more to add. Apparently. Oh, sorry. I thought your I thought your audio cut off again. <laughs> no, safety <laughs> is a skill. Uh, safety is a skill. Critical thinking is a skill. Right. All these things. Being able to what if scenario and kind of put yourself two two steps ahead. Right. Like plan two steps ahead or three steps ahead. Those are all skills, and that you don't develop when there's an angry mob outside your home. So this is why we always talk about like, you know, yeah, sure. Lots of times concealed carry uh, incidents, c- citizens defending themselves. It's over in three seconds, right? Bang. You, you pull out your firearm. You might not have a ton of training, but you're at three feet away. Uh, it's kind of hard to miss. Um, but it's all those skills that go into these types of those or, or what do I do after the shooting or is it right? It, it, should I draw my firearm now or should I wait for a moment of opportunity? All those things don't, yeah. you don't get taught in your concealed carry class or your basic handgun class, right? Those are all come skills that are developed through training. So. Yep. Make sure you're straight on this stuff, guys. You know, every month we, we cover justified safe stories and pretty much without exception, we always find the, and, and talk about those stories where people screw up. And by the way, a lot of those what not to do stories, people aren't necessarily charged in those situations. They're fortunate. They get it. They, they kind of get away with some things to some extent. Um, and quite often it's in situations where nobody is 
hurt in the process. Again, nobody was injured in this case. That's where I think that it's unlikely there's going to be charges filed. Um, and I, I saw someone commenting, well, of course, they're not going to be charged because people that were there, if they were pressed to press charges, you know, they, those people were there illegally in the first place. Well, that that's ah, it's not exactly true. I mean, just because just because you broke the law doesn't mean somebody that breaks the law even further, right? Pointing or threatening you with a gun. It, like, it doesn't excuse that, right? Uh, but uh, it doesn't make that go away. Um, but anyway, you know, you know what I mean? So, you know, just make sure you guys are, you, that you, you're ready. Okay. Understand these things inside and outside, uh, both, you know, both ways. Okay. Constantly ask yourself, you know, when we cover stories like this, ask yourself, what would I do? And then stack that up with what, the laws and the particular statutes in your state permit you to do. Okay. Um, because I know there's a lot of big talk. I see it all the time on the internet. Well, he's got, you know, this person came onto my property or they came through my door and this is what I would do. Um, make sure that's in line with what the law says. Someone out there I know is screeching, uh, maybe even pounding it out in the keyboard right now about you know, unjust laws and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the government taking away my rights. Um, all right. You know, that, that's, that's on you, but here at the concealed carry podcast, we have been from the beginning. Uh, we, we, we believe in being law abiding. Okay. That's an important aspect of being a concealed carrier. You don't, you do, the law permits you to carry a gun or carry concealed if you don't abide by the law. If you don't like the law, if you think the law is unjust, guess what? There's a process, a procedure in this country on, on every level of government to change laws. Okay? And to hopefully make them align better with what you perceive your rights to be or what the Second Amendment or whatever says, right? Uh, so there's that, right? There's always a pro- there's a, There's a way. It doesn't mean it's an easy way to accomplish those things, but there's a way. And I think it, it behooves us to be responsible gun owners and gun carriers. All right. Or else if we don't own up to that responsibility, then there's a much greater risk of having further rights infringed upon. Because again, this didn't look very good public perception wise to have these guns being pointed at everybody, regardless of the circumstances. It, this was not good optics, right? It was not good. Agree. So uh, I know people have said, let's not criticize our own people, you know, our, our own, let's not eat our own. But at the same time, we kind of need to check ourselves and make sure we don't jeopardize the cause. Right. This is a good, this is a good gut check. That's the way I see it. Cool. We need to wrap it up. Matthew, we need to get to this week's giveaway, uh, podcast prize giveaway. We do once a week. All you got to do is sign up. It's free. That's it. Get extra entries. If you, uh, complete all the different steps involved in the, in the giveaway, uh, sign up, just go to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. Make sure you're signed up. 
each week because it, it renews every Tuesday. And this week, what are we giving away, Matthew? It is a Door Ambush digital download of the Door Ambush uh, DVD. Right, you're going to get free access to Door Ambush. It's great, uh, great little, I don't know, hour, hour and a half or so. It's about an hour long, I think, uh, DVD. Or it's a video course. You're going to get the streaming access, all right? So that's pretty cool. Uh, valued at $19.99, $14.99, something like that. Yeah. So... All right, Matthew. Let's do it. Drum roll. He's gonna. He's got the random picker ready to go. Here we go. Here we go. The winner is yeah. James. Uh, last name starts with an H. You have a live.com email. I'll email you and uh, look out in your email because uh, you got seventy-two hours to to uh, give us a little return email. Say I want the want my prize. So congratulations, nice. James. Yeah. Congratulations, James. All right. Awesome. And what are we giving away next week? Next week, we are giving away um, the Legal Boundaries by State book. Oh, cool. All right. Legal Boundaries by State book. Uh, This is, is I think, granted, I'm a little biased, but I think (laughs) this is the best uh, book out there covering all 50 state, you know, in a nutshell, all 50 state laws, you know, as far as carry laws, open, concealed, uh, also touching on use of force. Uh, magazine restrictions, uh, churches, bars, restaurants, uh, parks, all that stuff, okay? Broken down by each of the 50 states, plus about 50 pages of excellent information about travel, flying with a firearm, how you do that, how you how you check a firearm with the airline if you're doing that. Um, well, of course, if you're going to fly there with a firearm, that's how you, you got to check it in. Um hotels, that kind of stuff, all, all kinds of great information in, in uh, the, the second half of that book. So Legal Boundaries by State Book. And of course, guys, it's always available. If you can go pick up a copy, it's not like it's terribly expensive. You can always find it at, uh, I think the short link is concealedcarry.com forward slash LBBS. Also, again, the just touching on the sponsors of today's episode, our very own legal guide, if you will, on the concealedcarry.com site. You can just go to concealedcarry.com forward slash laws to get there quickly and easily. And uh, touching on the defense of property stuff, like you know, we've talked about today in this episode, Andrew Branca's Law of Self-Defense, Defense of Property video, DVD. In fact, you can go and purchase that. Today, concealedcarry.com forward slash D-O-P, as in defense of property. Concealedcarry.com forward slash DOP. (laughs) So, thank you for another great show, Matthew. Thank you, everyone, for being here with us. Uh, Those of you joining us on Facebook and YouTube. And, of course, to all those of you that aren't able to join us on Facebook and YouTube, that's all right. You're still very important to us. We appreciate you for downloading and listening to the podcast on a weekly, well, really twice weekly basis. Thank you so very much. We appreciate your support. Without your support, it would not be possible to do what we do. And I'd like to think that what we do is helpful and hopefully important. Some, some Based on some of the emails I've received over the years, some don't think so, but that's okay. They're in the minority. <laughs> So with that, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.
reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.